Now our souls are troubled. And what should we say? God save us from this hour? No. Amen. So I'll just be honest with you all today, because I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you today about anything, anything other than gun violence, anything other than economics, anything other than racism. I would love to talk to you instead about March Madness, basketball. Okay, I'm just kidding. Actually, I hate basketball. (laughs) And I don't want to talk about it at all. But I would love to talk about something like spring break plans. Really, honestly, I just want to talk about resurrection because I am tired. I'm tired of this hour tired of the trials and tribulations of this city and this nation. I am tired of Lent. (laughs) Done. I just am being real. I want to talk about resurrection. Every fiber of my being is ready for this spring weather, for Easter dresses, for new life. Yet here we are, in this hour, on the 50th, nope, 5th Sunday of Lent. (laughs) We are all tired, I know. We are all tired of differing struggles we face, of lamenting things in our life, the state of the world around us. But today our scriptures ask us, what should we say God save us from this hour? Unfortunately, the answer we hear is no. Our souls are troubled indeed. If not, then we are not awake. But a troubled soul, Jesus tells us today, is the beginning of resurrection. A troubled soul, Jesus tells us, will bear much fruit. This last week, Todd, Glenda, and I, along with many others in Faith for Justice, stood alongside a room full of troubled souls from our larger community. They gathered to witness to the hour that we are all in. These troubled souls gathered on the south side at the Grant Community Center to bear witness to the voices of people troubled by brutality and by the lack of accountability for it. There were hundreds, hundreds of people in that small space on the south side. And we sat right in the middle of the room, which was so full, I am sure the fire marshal would have advised otherwise had there been a fire marshal present. I'm not sure what the organizers of this meeting expected, but I can tell you they did not plan for what followed. Because in my eyes, what followed was total chaos. The crowd broke into deep lament, abandoning any agenda attempted by the organizers. 
voices talking over each other, yelling and taunting, competitive and desperate mourning. Like the Greeks in our reading today, the crowd was demanding to see Jesus. There was a moment in which I found myself sitting in the middle of the chaos saying, God, save me from this moment. I thought to myself how easy, how easy it would be to just get up from my seat, to just go home. Go home, I could make up some excuse to go home, to my safe space, to be with my family, to have dinner, to move on with my life, because I am tired. I'm tired of Lent, and I'm tired of lament. Week five of Lent, and this is where we find ourselves in the season where Jesus finds himself on his journey to Jerusalem and where we find ourselves as a nation. We are in a time of making a choice as a people. We are at the point in the season where we say, God, save me from this hour, and then either we run from it or we sit in the midst of it. We're at the point in the season of Lent where we can walk away from the spiritual disciplines we have made or we can stick with them. We can either say, no, this is the reason we are here, or we can turn from the hour and save ourselves a bit of pain. When Jesus makes his choice, when he says, no, this is the reason I came to this hour, I really want us to see this moment as what it was for him, because Jesus could have saved himself from that hour. He could have stopped trying to explain to the Greeks what the kingdom of heaven was all about. He could have walked away from that hour just like he could have had everything Satan tempted him with in the wilderness. He had the ability to walk away from the call. He had the ability to be king on earth. He had the choice to choose his own private life over the life of the world. And the truth is, so do we. Most of us in this room could choose to put our heads in the sand about so many of the ethical and moral issues facing our city and our nation and ourselves. In that awkward, intense community meeting last week, Todd and I had the ability to walk away from that meeting Frankly, we had the ability to never even go in the first place. But we definitely had the ability to leave and go back to our regular lives, to our safe homes, in our safe neighborhoods, in our safe white bodies. But as I was thinking about our scripture today, I was talking with Glinda And this question came to me, and I want to ask you, did Glinda, as a black-bodied person, mother and grandmother to black-bodied people, did Glinda have the same ability to simply walk away from that meeting as Todd and I did? Did she? And if she had left, would her life have gone on as usual? The truth is, that meeting was Glinda's life. 
so much so that her daughter was one of the people sitting on the stage taking questions and fielding the intensity of the three-hour-long meeting. So no, she didn't. She didn't have the same ability to leave as Todd and I did. I mean, yes, she could have physically left the room, but whether she stayed or left her life and the people that she loved, their lives depend in so many ways on what happened at that meeting. While Todd and I stay or leave, no matter the outcome of that intense meeting, our private lives would go on as usual. And so given all of that, we, Todd, Glenda, and I, remained in that awkward and emotional moment. And although I am sure every white person in that room had thoughts of leaving, It would have only been our white privilege that made our leaving possible and without consequence to us. It was clear we had a choice to make, like Jesus in the wilderness and Jesus talking to the crowds and Jesus in the garden. But the call of this hour, the call of this season, the call to us as Christians is this. We are called to remain We are called to remain in the pain, to remain in the awkward, to remain in the hour we find ourselves in, to remain in the brokenness, to remain in the brokenness until until we hate the brokenness of this world more than we love our own private privilege. As Christians, we are called to remain in the brokenness until we are made so uncomfortable, until our souls are so troubled by the state of the world that we choose to make the world better. But until we hate the brokenness of this world more than the privilege of our own private lives, we will not witness resurrection and new life. We will not create the kingdom of God until we are willing to let some things die. At 5 a.m. this morning, the Spirit woke me up. Spirit woke me up, and I realized that I had not spoken about how. How do we remain? How do we stay in the brokenness How do we let things die? So often, a preacher makes great proclamations as remain in the brokenness, but forgets to point out how we do such difficult things. And I was about to do the same thing until the Spirit woke me up and sent me back to my computer at 5 a.m. So the answer of how we stay in the brokenness may seem simple, but it is an imperative. We stay in it together. This is why we are given the gift of each other, the gift of togetherness, the gift of communion. This is why we pray during Lent at the table, forgive us for coming to the table for solace only and not for strength. Because God knows that to stay in our own brokenness and the brokenness of the world will require great strength, the strength of the whole communion. 
We cannot remain in the brokenness alone. We cannot let things die if we feel we have nothing else that lives, and what lives for us is relationship. God, let this communion make us one body, one spirit in Christ. We are in it together. That's how we stayed in the room at that meeting, because we were there together. And coming soon, Jesus asks his community to stay awake with him, and we must ask each other to stay awake, to remain in the brokenness together. What is it that Leonard Cohen says? The cracks are where the light gets in. And Jesus says things must die to bear much fruit. And so here's the truth of Easter. I get to talk about resurrection after all. The truth of Easter is that we have to move through Lent and get to Holy Week and stay awake with Jesus and then stand at the cross of a crucified Jesus to truly get to resurrection. We can't get to resurrection any other way but to remain together, together during Lent, together at Maundy Thursday, together at Good Friday. Our privilege will protect us only so long. And our privilege certainly won't bear fruit for the people of God. Since that calamity of a public meeting, much fruit actually has been harvested. Todd and I, along with others, have continued to meet with the chief of police, and it's produced more truth and greater trust. New policies of accountability have been created, and more denial has fallen away. We have a long road before we can come to a city that's committed to equity or a nation centered in justice. But we are given a path and a process and a story and a God to follow, and we are given a communion and a community. We have been promised life eternal, life abundant, life resurrected. And yet, for a while, we must remain We must remain in the room. We must remain in the season of Lent, even though we have the choice to leave, the privilege to turn away, even though we can say, God, save us from this hour. But no, because in fact, this is the reason we are here. In fact, we are here for this exact moment. Amen. Amen.